here we go. Welcome to the Nine Rat Fantasy Football Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nine Route Fantasy Football Podcast. Pat and Scott going to dive deep once again into some free agency and offseason moves that have, uh, these are some of the ones that really rocked the NFL, so to speak. Um, it's kind of got the ball rolling as far as big contracts and deals being done amongst the, the wide receiving core, especially. Uh, we know Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill have, have been traded, which you, you didn't maybe see happening. Uh, couple of big signings right off the bat in free agency, one of them being Christian Kirk, who was well-coveted. Uh, he grabbed the bag for four years, $72 million, and moved to Jacksonville from the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, and then some guys that stayed put. Uh, you have like a Michael Gallup, who's still around in Dallas and is one of the one of the last men standing there with C.D. Lamb. Uh, hopefully he'll be standing sooner than later after uh, a little bit of an injury issue there at the end of the season, and, and they're hoping to get him back on the field soon. But a lot of moves being done again just at that wide receiver position. Uh, amongst others. And and Pat, what'd you think? I mean, you know, free agency is always kind of fun and they call it a frenzy, but it, it sure seemed to uh, sure seemed to fit up to the bill this time. Yeah, they uh, this seems, you know, I said this in our, our last episode that we recorded. This seems like the sort of biggest offseason that I can remember maybe in NFL history. Like it just there's so many players have, you know, big name players have Change teams have, you know, trades have happened and, you know, big, big name quarterbacks that we talked about on our last episode. And it was just, this just seems like I'm not really sure, you know, where this all came from. I, you know, I was thinking the other day about how, you know, the Rams sort of went all in this year and, you know, they signed Matt Stafford and then that sort of, propelled them to Super Bowl victory, obviously. And I think teams saw that as the NFL has been called a copycat league. You, you see one team do something and it's successful. And then, you know, a lot of other teams tend to to jump on board and try to imitate or, or emulate what, what that team did. And I think teams are, are sort of, this, this is going to become the, the time where the, uh, the Stafford model gets followed, where teams have, a lot of good skill players and then, you know, go on to sort of just pick up that last piece, which is the, the, the good quarterback, the, that can get them over the hump and then, you know, try to win a Super Bowl that way. You've seen, you know, obviously we talked about Denver doing that with Russell Wilson, you know, some teams look like maybe they're taking a different approach with Miami, for example, they're signing and, and trading for a lot of high profile pieces, I guess, you know, maybe believing that, that Tua is already the guy that they that they needed the quarterback position, or maybe they're loading up this year. I've heard the discussions that maybe they're loading up with talent to see if he can be the guy. And if he's not, then they're you know maybe next year they look to to trade for a quarterback since they've already stockpiled talent in other areas. And you know maybe that's the way Miami is looking at this from a a two or three year perspective. So yeah, like you said, we're going to dive into. Some of the big moves, uh, like you said, especially the the wide receiver moves. There's there's been some some running backs and some tight ends move teams, but I think the the real needle movers this offseason have been the quarterbacks and the wide receivers. And so we're going to jump into just a few guys today. We know that 
we're not going to have time to hit every single big name that has moved or, or significant move that's happened in the offseason. So we're going to hit you with a few today. We will come back next week. Uh, we're going to do our, our NFL draft episode. And then maybe when we come back after that, we'll do some of these other free agent moves as well as discussing, you know, where the the top draft picks have landed and and sort of what impact that's going to have on each team and fantasy football as a as a whole. It's going to be very busy, but also very interesting off season for us. And I think, uh, you know, sort of jumping in as this sort of being our first real off season where we're talking about and covering things like, you know, free agent moves and the draft and things like that. I feel like we uh, we definitely get uh, have some homework ahead of us to to make sure that we're prepared for this upcoming fantasy season. So I mean, we got to go back to school. You said homework. <laughs> no, well, I mean, right. when you work from home, it's all homework. So it's always, always. Uh, no, you're, I, I think you're right. It, we're starting to really see that transition in fantasy football really pulling away from the running backs. Is yes, they're still valuable because of the multifaceted running and catching and and you know PPR work that they get. The running back by committee stuff seems like it grows, you know, ever stronger. You don't have your bell cow running backs. And again, it's it's a passing league where you're starting to see three wide receivers with over 100 receptions and over 1,000 yards, things of that nature that, that just can't stop happening. So, yeah, I think the quarterback wide receiver – uh, dynamic duo, so to speak, are really going to be the the new uh, the new way of doing things, both uh, fantasy wise and not. So definitely, uh, I, I know Devontae Adams was probably one of the first, and and I guess the biggest name to move just a few weeks before Tyree Kill. So uh, I guess maybe we'll we'll dive in there first. Yeah, let's start with the biggest names, right? Let's let's start with Devontae Adams. He was traded to the Las Vegas Raiders for. Uh, a first round pick this year, pick number 22 overall, and uh, the Packers, uh, excuse me, the Raiders second round pick, number 53 overall. And then the Raiders decided after they made the trade to just, you know, basically throw money at him to make sure that, you know, they, he knew that they were serious about, uh, about making him a long term part of the team and gave him a five year, $141.5 million contract. So, I know before the we started recording, we talked a little bit about Derek Carr. I think that the audience would be interested to hear what you have to say because I I agree with what you said earlier about Carr and the the sake of making you repeat yourself to me. Uh, I think it's important that everybody kind of hears you know what you had to say about that. Well, uh, again, from a football perspective, I, I've always been a kind of a Derek Carr fan. I, I think he gets a little underrated at times, and when you look back, he seems like in fantasy he always finishes as a you know, top 10, top 12, top 15. He almost threw for 5,000 yards this past season. They were a wide receiver away. And, and you saw at the beginning of 2021 with uh, having Henry Ruggs as that young uh, wide receiver that was starting to come on. And then obviously uh tragedy beset him uh, off the field that took him away from the Raiders. And then you compound that with the John Gruden being taken away for other Improprieties. Uh, that that locker room took a pretty massive hit, uh, and then of course that's going to translate, unfortunately, over to the play on the field, where you do see uh, you see a Hunter Renfro step up and become a, a Cooper Cup light, so to speak. You, you saw Darren Waller was a little banged up, so he wasn't quite f- fully up to his job. Brian Edwards, uh, the next Terrell Owens, is not happened just yet. 
So you saw where they had potential and, and that could have went down the drain. Uh, meanwhile, they quietly backed in, whatever you want to call it, to the playoffs, but they still made the playoffs and they were within a play or two of beating Cincinnati, who eventually went on to almost wins, you know, almost, but whatever. It's it's fantasy, right? Almost win the Super Bowl, but they were there. So it shows you that the potential's there. If you're going to link up uh, a former college teammate and, and two guys that made each other, helped each other get to the pros and then have, have mastered their craft. Again, I know people think Derek Carr is, eh, it's Derek Carr. You know, he, he doesn't do a lot for you. He's not as sexy of a name as the other guys in that division now, where you have, you've added Russell Wilson, you obviously have Patrick Mahomes and you have Justin Herbert. Like you have him as the fourth worst quarterback in the best division for quarterbacks. He could start on 80% of the league for the most part. I mean, there's not a lot of guys you're going to put ahead of him. Again, if he's a top 10 to 12 fantasy quarterback, then right there, it just shows you. He, he tries to give you a little bit of that dynamic with running the football. Uh, the fumbles can come into play, which actually sucks out a lot of that. Some of those fumbles just happen on regular dropbacks. Uh, where he gets pressured and maybe holds on to the football too long. But I don't know if he's going to be doing that right now because you've just inserted Devontae Adams into a, a lineup. Zay Jones uh, left in free agency. That was 70 targets, uh, albeit before he left. Uh, Henry Ruggs had 36. And then you had a couple of meandering wide receivers there. About 120, 130 targets that that are going to go the way of a Devontae Adams who had 123 with Green Bay and, and has a catch rate of about 73%. So uh, to say Derek Carr is finally given the full opportunity, like, here you go, man. Here's your guy. Let's see what you can do. If everybody stays healthy, uh, Devontae Adams joining that offense, I don't see him missing a beat, really. I, I'm not saying that Derek Carr is Aaron Rodgers. I'm not trying to compare the two of them, but there's probably going to be a strong chemistry there that, that will be similar. And again, if you can get him the football, that's all you need. Yeah, that's exactly what I had written in my notes. You know, I, I keep notes on on all these players as things happen. And, you know, that way I don't have to go back and, and sort of research stuff. So as I hear things, I, you know, grab my little notebook and I jot stuff down. And what I, and I wrote down for Devontae Adams was I, I do see him taking a little bit of a hit, you know, going from Aaron Rodgers, who arguably one of the, the top two or three quarterbacks in the NFL to Derek Carr. But like I said, with, like you said, with the chemistry that they've already got built, um, with the fact that Adams is just so talented that he's going to demand targets no matter you know what team he, he played for. I, I, don't, I don't really see, you know, maybe he's not the number one, number two wide receiver off the board this year, but I can't see Adams falling past wide receiver maybe five come draft day like he's not going to lose a ton of value because he's not playing with Aaron Rodgers now Rodgers did look for Adams a lot in the red zone uh, Green Bay was one of the teams that threw in a red zone more than any other team in the league and a lot of that was just because that's what they did Aaron Rodgers trusted Devontae Adams and they they threw those fades those you know those little corner routes and you know all the all the little timing routes that that good quarterbacks and wide receivers can manufacture in the red zone. They threw a lot of those because, because the trust factor was there. And I think that same trust factor is going to be there uh, in Las Vegas with Derek Carr. And I think that, you know, like I said, I think Adams loses a little bit of potential value just, you know, due to the fact that maybe Carr's not as crafty, not as accurate. Also the fact that there's a few more weapons on the team. You have a big guy like Darren Waller in the red zone. Of course, you're going to look to him a few times. Uh, Hunter Renfro proved that he can get it done in the red zone. Plus, 
you know, like you said, Josh Jacobs is a, a solid running back. I'm mean, not that he's necessarily any better than the running backs in Green Bay, but the Raiders do tend to run the ball in the red zone a little bit more over the past few seasons. But again, that's before they signed or traded for Devontae Adams. So could they throw in a lot more red zone passes this year? Yeah, they absolutely could. And I think that helps Derek Carr's fantasy value this year as well. There's a, there's an opportunity for him to really become a, uh, I don't want to say an elite fantasy quarterback, but a guy who you can count on a lot more than maybe you had been able to in the past. I think the big detractor from this deal was and is going to be Hunter Renfro's targets. You know, he had a breakout season last year. I just can't see him getting a hundred and what was it, 128 targets he had last year. I can't see if, if Waller stays healthy with Adams on the team. Now, I just don't know that that run Renfro is going to be able to just, I just don't think he's going to be able to get as many targets as, as he did. And I think that, you know, unfortunately it's one of those things where, you know, when you got a lot of mouths to feed, who's the guy that's, uh, you know, that gets fed a little bit less this year. I think it's, it's Renfro, even though he had an outstanding season last year and what could have been his sort of breakout season for his career. I feel like, you know, if I'm Renfro, I'm, I'm a little nervous right now that maybe my utilization isn't going to be what it was in 2021. All right, let's move on to Tyree kill. Uh, another trade that big name trade that happened in the NFL. Tyree kill went to the Miami dolphins, Kansas city got three picks this year, the 29th overall, the 50th overall, and then a fourth round pick, which is either 121 or 125. And then they got two picks next year, a fourth and a sixth. And then they also did the same thing as Las Vegas and signed or re-signed Hill to a four-year $120 million deal. And you know, this has just been the, the off-season of wide receivers getting paid. So what do you think about Hill moving to Miami and, and how that affects both Miami and Kansas City moving forward? Well, uh, I mean, I don't know what's stronger. You and I kind of touched on this before we got on. It's what effects are going to be stronger, Tyreek Hill on the Miami Dolphins or the vacuum of Hill leaving Kansas City and the effect it's going to have on that offense as a whole? I mean, Tyreek Hill's Tyreek Hill. He's he's in what you would consider a, a tough spot now. Okay, you're moving from a quarterback of, of Mahomes' caliber to a guy of Tua where there's a lot of question marks and, and red flags. They're giving him some offensive weapons, Tyreek Hill being one of them. Uh, signed a couple running backs in the offseason in Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert that give that backfield a little more, a little more legitimacy, so to speak. If he as long as he gets downfield and Tua can get him the ball, you know, that tends to be, I think, your your biggest, your biggest question mark is is does he have the arm strength to make those deep ball accurate throws uh that that you ask for from a quarterback? Beyond that. Even if he's used on, you know, gadget plays and and all that stuff, it's it's one of the deals where I think as a whole, Hill's going to be that guy where you you look at what the the coach there, the the new coach they just brought in from San Francisco and what he used Debo Samuel for. To me, that's going to be a similar role for him. But you do look around and see that there are still going to be other males to feed. You have Jalen Waddle, who was a target monster last year, albeit on a, on a team that had 
you know, uh, question marks again at the quarterback spot and you had two injured and, and you had Devontae Parker uh, injured most of the season. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, and they already shipped him off to New England. You know, Jacoby Brissett jumped in there for a few minutes. So so you had a lot of changeover. But pulling Hill out of Kansas City, while Hill himself, I think he'll be – I think he's going to take a hit. I mean, I'll put it that way. I, I can't see him being as dominant as he was in that Kansas City offense where, you know, he's commanding 100-plus targets the way he was and, and making the receptions while – you know, he, he had a catch rate of 72%. That's pretty good where you just think of a deep ball threat guy. Like, the guy's got hands and speed. That's what makes him a killer threat. And you had that punch-to-the-head, punch-to-the-gut concept of him and Travis Kelsey and Mahomes being able to take off and make that the third part of that connection. Is Tua that guy? I I, I don't think so. I, I just don't think he's going to be able to do that. Now, that's also because you haven't really seen him do that because he hasn't had tons and tons to work with. Last year, the Kansas City Chiefs, there sort of became, throughout the season, there sort of became this narrative that teams were starting to figure out the Chiefs. And, and uh, you saw, especially there was a stretch in the middle of the season where the Chiefs offense, it was it was actually more towards the beginning that, that sort of spanned into the middle where the Chiefs offense sort of sputtered a little bit. The teams were playing a lot more too deep safety against them and really forcing them to throw the ball underneath. And, you know, that this is, that's why you saw, if you go back and look at Patrick Mahomes, uh, deep ball accuracy, passing percentages, not last year, but the year before and the year before that, they're a lot higher than they were last year because teams took that away. They, they realized that there's sort of this, again, you know, talked about it being a copycat league. There's sort of this, defensive mindset now you know things kind of shift in the nfl it went from back in the day running backs were the end-all be-all you you know you had your walter payton and your jim brown and your emmett smith and barry sanders like all of these guys who were just the cornerstone pieces to their team because that's the way football was played it was a more smash mouth game it was a more Offensive line versus defensive line. The passing wasn't nearly as prolific as it was as it is now. So that the NFL has shifted, and what you're seeing now is defensive coordinators are adapting to this mindset that what you have to do to play defense in the NFL now is make teams go on long, sustained drives, and sort of let the offense beat themselves because you can't really defend a good offense in the NFL. Now it's too easy to get called for pass interference, defensive holding, everything's an automatic first down. Uh, the number of penalties have gone up uh, every year, except for last year, strangely, but basically the way things are going now is defensive coordinators are trying to get teams to, to beat themselves, get offenses to make a mistake, get a, you know, a penalty or, you know, whatever the case is, the more pass attempts there are, the more opportunities to get a sack, the more opportunities to get a turnover, the more opportunities the offense has of putting themselves in a bad situation, you know, getting into a first and 20 rather than a first and 10 or, you know, whatever the case is. So what teams are doing now sort of takes away from what Tyreek Hill does naturally, which is beat you in one play. And I think teams are starting to realize if you can take away these big plays, you can mitigate the 
amount of offensive possessions and keep the games a little bit more low scoring. I don't say low scoring because scoring has obviously increased uh, every year over the past, you know, 10 years as well. But I think it's, it's a, it's a matter of will Tyreek Hill be able to be what we know Tyreek Hill to be over the past few seasons, or will this shift in the way the, the game is played? Is that going to affect not only his ability to create big plays. Now he's going to get his big plays because there's going to be times where he catches the ball and just runs away from everybody because he's faster than everybody else on the field. But I think in, in terms of, you know, looking at the weapons that they have in Miami, I think now teams are going to have to play Miami the way that they played Kansas city last year. And I'm not saying that Hill is going to necessarily suffer from that as far as a, a fantasy standpoint goes. But I also don't expect those huge plays as often from Hill as I as I did in the past. And whether it's Tua, whether it's Patrick Mahomes, you know, whatever the case is, I think if you if you're asking me who I think would make more mistakes, having to run more offensive plays, I still believe it's Tua. He's younger. He's more inexperienced. He's just hasn't proven that he's the quarterback that that Patrick Mahomes is yet. But you know, I guess we will see. All right, let's move on to another big trade. Uh, Amari Cooper was traded to the Cleveland Browns. This is one of the trades that happened really early in the offseason. Uh, I think this was one of those things where Dallas kind of, they kind of knew. And I think everybody knew that the writing was on the wall for Cooper because with his contract, with Ezekiel Elliott's contract, with Dak's contract, like you, there's just no way that the Cowboys were going to be able to keep all of these guys to the duration of their entire contract because you know these things. Obviously, the way the contracts go generally in the NFL, as the time goes on, you get paid less guaranteed money, but your overall cap hit goes up. So this is the team's opportunity to sort of um, decide whether or not that they want to trade you or cut you or whatever the case is to save that cap hit. Dallas got a fifth and sixth round pick from Cleveland. Cleveland got Amari Cooper and a sixth round pick this year. So basically, Cooper was traded for a fifth round pick. And I think, you know, a lot of people will be like, wow, you know, fifth round pick is all it took to get Amari Cooper. But like I said, with the way his contract was structured, I think that Cooper, as good as he is, Taking on all of that money is sort of the bigger hit for for Cleveland. And so Cooper wasn't able to really fetch as much on the trade market. I know you were never, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Deshaun Watson in our last episode and, and you know, now kind of pairing Cooper with Watson. How, how do you uh, how do you see that going moving forward here, Scott? Is it going to be Cooper and Watson? Is it going to be Cooper and Baker? Is it going to be Cooper and Jacoby Brissett? Like, I still think there's possibly another shoe to drop in Cleveland with all the allegations and all field issues. Watson, obviously they signed him to a massive deal. That's uh, a game changer for the entire league and NFLPA, which is something that's going to probably be dealt with down the road, possibly even in the next collective bargaining agreement. But Cooper himself, I mean, from a fantasy standpoint, he's pretty solid uh, as far as things go. As a player, not a big fan, not just because he was on Dallas, but tends to quit a little bit on his teams, tends to be a little bit, you know, an attitude guy. It sounds like there were some hard words between him and Dak during the season in Dallas. So if you have an issue with a wide receiver and a quarterback, which you're probably going to have on any team, but something that gets to be a little more public that aids here leaving. Obviously, Cleveland's just coming off of that with Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield. So 
to interject a player into something that's already its own little story. I, I don't know how Cleveland's really going to fare. I mean, right now, if you look at their roster, Cooper is beyond the the guy on that offense as far as wide receivers go. They've been such a run first, run second, run third offense. And has that been that way because you had good running backs like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt or that you were able to just throw Dearness Johnson in and he takes over like nothing happened? Is it the skill set of your offensive line that you're trying to do with Kevin Stefanski running that offense the way he is? Or was it because you just didn't trust Baker Mayfield to be that guy? I, I, I still don't know exactly how, how that factors in just yet. Obviously, they made the move for Watson, so that kind of gave you an idea what they really felt about him. Uh, I've never been high on him. And I know last year I, I ripped him a few times. And at the same time, yeah, he was fighting an injury. So that's definitely going to affect you. But uh, he had some physical limitations, which hold him back from being uh, a dominant quarterback. You put Deshaun Watson on that team, who's a guy who can throw for 4,000 yards on accident, 5,000 if you need it. He's got MVP quality play on field. He also sat out the entire year last year. So uh, for Cooper, if you're getting a guy who's going from a situation that he wasn't happy in Dallas, putting him on a team that's a little bit turmoil, uh, at least for right now, and it's more of just question marks. You don't know what's going to happen post-draft. You don't know what's going to happen just with other off-season moves and whatnot for, for that team. That's to me, is, is a big question mark. It's going to be his first year there. Is he going to get there, not want to be there, and decide to move on? you know, pouts, want not, you know, give up on plays, get benched, or is he going to be a guy that steps up and is an all pro caliber wide receiver that we've seen him give those moments in with the Raiders and with Dallas, uh, he has shown it, but Jerry Jones ripped them that he was a guy that isn't just there to catch deep balls. He's got to go over the middle. He's got to make plays. So if you're, if you're typecasted as the bad guy and you're going to a team that got rid of what they thought was the bad guy, but uh, ended up sounds like he may have been right after all. I, depending on who's throwing him the ball, I think he's going to take a little bit of a hit. Now, if it's Watson, he's got the best potential. And I think if it's Brissett, he's got the second best. If it's somehow it's Baker Mayfield starting for that team or, or getting involved at all in that offense, then I think you're you're looking at a totally different animal altogether because you're going to have, you know, your Donovan Peoples-Jones has been on that roster for a few minutes. You have a couple good tight ends that get involved. How does that play out? Or do they just put their head down and just keep running the football and Cooper – gets dropped down to, you know, maybe six, seven targets a game tops. You know, suddenly that takes him away from being the alpha in Dallas, and it didn't take much for C.D. Lamb to do that. So I, I'm just not high on him personally, and I think although he's still a young player uh, in this league by far, I, I just don't see him putting up anything close to what he is. I, I think he's unfortunate. I think he's almost on the back end of his career. I know it sounds crazy, but it's just just how I feel about him. No, that's fair. I mean, I think that, you know, obviously everybody has a right to their opinion and, and everybody, you know, has different reasons for why they believe what they believe about certain players. And, you know, obviously that's, you know, why we come on and talk about this stuff, because, you know, there's there's going to be people out there that hear this and think, oh, you're crazy, Scott. Like that's, there's no that's way. pretty much that, everybody, Pat. <laughs> no, what I mean, but there's going to be a lot of people. There's going to be a lot of people that completely agree with you too. And I'm going to take the opposite argument on this stance, just not because it's necessarily what I 100% believe, but just to offer, uh, you know, a, another, another side of it. So for me, I think that first of all, the, the Cleveland Browns have probably the best offensive line in the NFL. Um, I agree. 
I mean, it's definitely top three if it's not the best. They still have, like you said, two really good running backs uh, in Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And now they've added a quarterback who, I mean, they obviously believe that Deshaun Watson is tops in the league, cream of the crop, top three, four, five quarterback in the league with the contract that they gave him and, and what they gave up to get him. And now you're adding Cooper, who, like you said, maybe is not, uh, you know, he's not Devontae Adams or Tyree Kill, but Cooper was one of those guys coming out of college who he was a can't miss, you know, prospect. He, you know, went really high in the first round. I don't remember uh, the exact pick, but I want to say he was in the top 10 pick that fourth year. overall. Fourth? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, he's the talent is there. It's always been there. I think the year that Cooper was in Dallas without C.D. Lamb, um, and he was sort of the go-to he killed it. Yeah. wide receiver, he, he was amazing. Now, will Cleveland add more weapons on the outside, or will they stick with you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones and, and you know, what's the guy's name? Uh, Schwartz, the guy that they drafted last year, I believe. So will they add somebody else? That remains to be seen. Obviously, they franchised um, David Njoku, and they're working on a long-term deal for him. So they do believe that he is going to be an integral part of that offense as well. I think that the addition of Deshaun Watson gives Cooper at least the potential to be a top maybe eight fantasy wide receiver this year. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, obviously, you know, nobody knows, you know, the future, but I, I think that if you look back with Deshaun Watson, he tends to find his best receiver and hyper target them. Now, obviously a lot of that was with Deandre Hopkins when they were in Houston together. And obviously if you have a guy like Deandre Hopkins, you're going to throw him the ball as often as you possibly can. But I think, for Cooper, I don't think 160, 165 targets is out of the question this year. If the Browns don't pick up another receiver or you know draft a receiver, which I, I don't really necessarily see them doing. I guess it's possible, but I don't really see them drafting another uh, receiver, at least not a high profile receiver. Um, of course, you know they're probably going to draft somebody in the, in that for that receiving court just based off of their current roster construction, but I don't know that they're going to add some, you know, high profile, you know, rookie wide receiver. And even if they do not that many rookie wide receivers make a huge impact on the offense that they play for in their first year. So for me this year, uh, Cooper's one of those guys that again, you know, doing mock drafts, which I've been, you know, doing some, some best ball mock drafts and some regular mock drafts so far, you know, Cooper's a guy who keeps falling to me in like the like fourth, late fourth, beginning of the fifth round. And I, I just can't pass him up based off of the potential. Now, do I, you know, like I said, do I know for sure that he's going to be, you know, something special? No, I don't, but I can't pass up on the opportunity for what he could potentially be in fantasy football this year for a fourth or fifth round pick. So uh, I think that, you know, by, July, August, when, you know, mock drafts are in full swing and, and everybody is thinking about fantasy football, not just us diehard fantasy football nerds. I, I think Cooper's going to see his value rise. I think he's going to see his, his ADP rise. And I think that there's going to be a lot of clamor to get, to get Cooper a little bit earlier in drafts and, and, 
and sort of, you know, hopefully capitalize on that potential. Now he could completely be a bust, but I, the next guy we're going to talk about, he, he was a bust last year and he was still drafted in the second round of, of most drafts last year. So it's, it's one of those things where are you willing to take the risk on, you know, what could potentially be, or in your case, you know, maybe there are people out there and, and I'm sure there are that just believe maybe this is not a match made in heaven and, and this isn't going to work. Maybe Stefanski's still going to continue to run the ball behind that great offensive line. So it's again, Cleveland's going to be another one of those teams. That's just going to be really interesting to watch and see how everything plays out this season. But I'm excited about Amari Cooper and I'm actually considering, I'm not sure yet, you know, we'll see when the season comes up, but I'm actually considering keeping him in our league of record now, whereas that was not an option two months ago. So uh, he's, he's at least risen on my board enough to, to have me consider keeping him this year, which is uh, a big step for me. So, all right, let's move on. And uh, we're going to try to move through the rest of these signings and re-signings a little bit quicker. Um, maybe not as many, not as much to discuss on some of this other stuff, but some guys that we definitely want to make sure that we hit that have um, either gone to new teams or have re-signed with their current teams and are going to have some potential impact on fantasy football moving forward. So uh, Allen Robinson signs a three-year, $46.5 million deal. Last year, he was you know, probably one of the most disappointing players in all of fantasy football. Going to a team who just won the Super Bowl, obviously, who traded Robert Woods and has Odell Beckham probably sidelined for the first month or two of the season. So there's a potential there for Robinson to sort of step right into that second fiddle role behind Cooper Cup and potentially, I don't want to say resurrect his career like he's been gone forever, but potentially make up for a bad season on a bad Chicago Bears team. I know personally, I'm a little bit, um, again, like I am with Amari Cooper, I guess maybe I'm just a little bit more optimistic for, for players, but I still think Robinson is a talented guy. I think he was in a really bad situation last year with the Bears sort of going back and forth between Andy Dalton and Justin Fields and with Darnell Mooney breaking out a little bit you know, towards the middle to the end of the season. I think Robinson sort of just, he was also disgruntled in Chicago as well. I mean, he, he wasn't happy there. Um, I think this is a, a huge opportunity for him to potentially kind of get back to maybe not necessarily that you know, wide receiver one in fantasy football, but definitely in that wide receiver two, solid wide receiver two range this year. What do you, how do you feel about Allen Robinson going to the Rams? I mean, obviously he's, he's in a way better situation. Yeah. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly that he's going to go to a stronger offense. Uh, we, we saw the, the end of the Matt Nagy era and and everything that that it was like you said you're you know you're rotating in and out quarterbacks Nick Foles got in there for a few minutes uh, I, yeah you're 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 moving him to the world champions which is obviously a bump up and he's a guy that throughout his career Allen Robinson has been a pretty solid wide receiver uh, you know he bounced back from that injury year with Jacksonville and, and Chicago took a flyer on him uh, he had a reasonable comeback year and then he put up back to back years of just about average. If you average the two years together, he, he averaged hundred receptions and uh, darn near 1200 yards. So yeah, putting up, you know, about seven, eight touchdowns a year. Like he's a guy who's right in that wheelhouse to see him fall off last year and fall off. He did, like you said, where uh, I, I think you may have had him on your roster, if, if not in our <laughs> league in, in one that I remember. And it was like, you're like, dude, he's killing me. And it's, it's one of those, you don't want to move because you're thinking maybe it's just a slow start. And, and maybe it's just, he's a little, little rust or a little injury issue. 
he is starting to, again, he's starting to get up there in age a little bit. He's 28. Uh, you know, he, he's been in the league for eight years. He's going to move to a team, though, this time that, you know, you're not playing for Jacksonville, who's a bottom feeder. You're not playing for a, a muddling, middling Chicago team and, and, you know, basically almost checking out where come the trade deadline, it seemed like his name was pretty hot as far as uh, being moved to a contender, similar to what, what he did, similar to um, uh, moving to the Rams, where actually we saw Odell Beckham move there. And, and you saw the impact that he had just by going there. I like the move. I feel like he's almost going to be in there as not quite the Robert Woods mode, but I, I think similar to, okay, he's on that roster. Uh, they have a great young player in Van Jefferson who, who they like a lot, who, you know, they got pretty involved in that offense last year. And at times really seemed to make big plays and seemed like he was starting to come around. Uh, he had 800 yards receiving. He had 89 targets. And I mean, that was all pre-Odell, who kind of took a minute. And then once he got warmed up, really contributed to that offense. They may not be done making moves completely. We'll see what happens for them there. But right now, you would you would say that Robinson's on the field as a starter with Cooper Cup. And Jefferson maybe is a three-wide. They tend to run a little bit more. Uh, you saw Cam Akers starting to come back into play in the running game. Obviously, is is it's there, but it's all smoke screens is Allen Robinson going to give you that jet sweep that, you know, I, I think that's where maybe Van Jefferson is, is more of the play here. I think he's the, I think he might be the third. I, if you want to say targeted, but the third option on that team, Stafford has a year in with cup and you know, he's going to be the guy he's got a year in with Jefferson. If he builds a big rapport with Robinson, that's great. But was last year an indication that, okay, you know, he's starting to get a little long in the tooth and doesn't have what he had, uh, again, for those back-to-back thousand-yard seasons? Or, again, was it was it a borderline diva-esque or, or an injury that pretty much slowed him down or, or that he just checked out because he didn't want to be part of that offense? It's, you know, it's all speculation. I'm not going to rip the guy. I've always liked him as a player. Uh, I know back in the day I got him, I think, for that first big year when he was with Jacksonville and got lucky. It was like, okay. And then, yeah, you know, injuries beset him. To me, he's probably going to be the third option on that team. Again, there's a lot of males to feed. But being the third option on the Rams, uh, that's not like being the third option on, like, let's say, like the Eagles or the Giants or somebody like that, where, uh, you know, Cooper Cup had 1,900 yards. Van Jefferson had the next with 800. And then you go down the list and you got a couple other males to feed. I could see him maybe being a you know, six, 700 yards, maybe five touchdowns and maybe 40 receptions. It's not, it's not far off of where he was, albeit the touchdowns would be bonus, but it's, it's not far off from where he was with Chicago last year. He had 38 receptions for 400 yards in 12 games. I uh, still averaged 10 yards a catch. The touchdowns were it. He really didn't score anything where in previous seasons he had had six, seven, four, uh, all the way back to the heyday year of, of 1,400 yards and 14 touchdowns with, with Jacksonville in the second season. I like the move. I think it's a good, it's a plus for him. He's definitely going to be better than he was last year, health permitting. Uh, but I don't see him getting back to 80 catches, you know, 1,200 yards and, and nine touchdowns. I, I just think that offense is going to go through Cooper Cup. But I think Van Jefferson, they're, they're grooming him to be the number two. So we're going to move to Christian Kirk now. He signed with Jacksonville, a four-year, $72 million deal. And I think this was probably one of the more surprising, at least contracts that I saw, you know, him moving from Arizona where he wasn't really being utilized, I think, to his fullest potential didn't surprise me. But the 
four-year, $72 million deal was definitely something that I was, you know, surprised that maybe Jacksonville sees something that, you know, I don't or other teams don't or, or what have you. But, I mean, that kind of money and, and, and that kind of contract definitely suggests that he's going to be a big part of their offense moving forward. Jacksonville has been very busy this offseason, franchising Cam Robinson and then signing Brandon Scherf uh, to the offensive line and also adding some other pass catching talent as well as hiring Doug Peterson, which as you and I both know, former quarterback is, you know, sort of a guy who, yeah, I think they are bringing him in to develop Trevor Lawrence. I don't know what to, what to think about Kirk. I think that, again, I think that the contract says that he's going to be one of the main guys in that offense, but Last year, you, you know, we went into the year last year thinking that Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault were going to be, you know, major parts of that offense moving forward. And for whatever reason, Trevor Lawrence seemed to find, you know, Jamal Agnew a little bit more, I guess, easier to find or, or easier to, to target. And we just kind of couldn't put our finger on, not that the Jacksonville offense was great anyway, but you really couldn't put your finger on who was going to be the guy. You know, Jones did have his games here and there. Uh, Chenault sort of disappeared completely, but you know, this is one of the signings that I'm not super high on. I do think Trevor Lawrence is going to be better this year than he was last year, but I just, I don't know if Christian Kirk is, I don't know if he's number one wide receiver material. Like I, I feel like Jacksonville either, Either Jones steps back up and takes over as the number one receiver and Kirk slides as the number two, or, you know, maybe Jacksonville decides to, you know, they got uh, the first pick in the second round as well. You know, maybe they decide to go with the wide receiver there. There's, there's a lot of talented wide receivers in this year's draft, but Jacksonville is just sort of an enigma to me. I, I can't seem to figure out where to to put Christian Kirk. And as far as like my preliminary rankings, I've started ranking players for next year. Kirk is one of the hardest guys for me to, to rank because I want to put him in that echelon or that tier of players where, you know, I believe he's going to get maybe 120 targets, but I, in my heart, I don't really believe that that's going to be the case. So I am kind of, you and I haven't discussed Christian Kirk at all. So I'm, I'm very interested to hear how you feel about him going into 2022. I feel like one of those kids that like, as the teacher's talking, I have my hand raised. Like I really want to talk. Um, <laughs> you no, can interrupt okay. me at any time. I'm, no, I'm no, used no, to no, it. No, I have the, kids. It's a th- I, exactly. No, it's, it's, yeah. As you're talking to your spouse, they, they're like, I said, um, kids, I said, kids don't get me in trouble. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> as long as nobody's listening, which, which we're pretty good at. Um, yeah, the money was, you know, they're going to throw the bag at him to sign him. I, I think the biggest thing from last year is obviously Christian Kirk on an Arizona offense that, uh, had its moments that, that really looked like they were going to be one of the more dominant teams uh, in the NFL. You and I had talked about it at the beginning of last year. It was like, Oh, you could take anybody on this offense and they're going to help you win fantasy this year. You know, pick, pick the water boy, the athletic trainer. It didn't matter because of the, how, how crazy they they really looked. And then they pretty much fell off a cliff. And a lot of that was Kyler Murray's injury. But that at the same time, Colt McCoy was still winning games. And then 
you just saw different things happen where, I mean, the biggest injury overall that really affected that offense was DeAndre Hopkins really not being healthy enough to play throughout the majority of the season. And you then pushed a lot of these young players into these roles and Christian Kirk finished top 30 wide receiver. He had almost a thousand yards, five touchdowns. I I mean, he's, he's got a catch rate of about 73%. And that was on, you know, again, you're you're looking at, at target wise at what he had there. He had about 103 targets that he's vacating. Now he's moving to Jacksonville, where he's the best wide receiver on the roster. I, I mean, personally, I think he's a, he's a step up from Marvin Jones only because of his big playability. Lavisca Chanel had 100 targets last year. I mean, they quietly have a deep wide receiver core. You, you they sign Zay Jones. Marvin Jones is fairly reliable and. He was good until they realized he was the only guy that could catch for him at the time. Christian Kirk, you have Jamal Agnew, who had some nice plays, got a little banged up. I think Chenault, this could be a breakout year. And and Laquan Treadwell finally looked like an NFL wide receiver, albeit a lot of this was mop-up time. And and you had a rookie quarterback who I don't care how good you are, you're a rookie. The biggest thing that held that offense back last year, and, and I think we talked about it a lot, and everybody joked and had their memes all over the place, it was Urban Meyer. I mean, again, the guy basically almost like ruined the entire organization single-handedly. You know, you, you brought Daryl Bevel in to finish the last four games, and he had one less win with one uh, than, than they had the entire <laughs> season. And the offense looked good, and they knocked the Colts out of the playoffs in that last game. I mean, I think Christian Kirk could actually – again, I don't think he's going to be a top eight to ten, but I, I think he's going to be a top 15 wide receiver if he stays healthy. I like Doug Peterson. I like that offense. I like the way he had it. We saw it again. We saw it here in Philly. And again, you have a quarterback where you're giving him some weapons. You have James Robinson who was a little banged up. Uh, I'm interested in Travis Etienne to see what he does. If he comes back off that list, Frank, now suddenly you're you're starting to become more and more dynamic. If that offensive line holds up, you know, you're in a pretty good spot. Jacksonville always being the bad team, you know, they have a pretty good draft board in front of them. So they have the option to make moves. I like Christian Kirk here. I think he's got thousand yard potential. I think he's got top 15 wide receiver potential based on an offense that's actually going to be a little more pro style, an NFL offense, not Urban Meyer, you know, telling, you know, Again, not knowing how to run a pro football team for whatever reason, he was their coach, and, and thank God they moved on from him. I I like the Christian Kirk move. I know the money was big just to bring him in, but if the guy can catch that football, uh, and again, you have Press Taylor, who the Eagles wanted to, well, Doug Peterson wanted to promote, and that was part of the reason. Uh, Jim Bob Cooter, for those that are big Jim Bob Cooter fans from back in Detroit's day, uh, he did some nice things with Matthew Stafford. He's going to be involved as a passing game coordinator, so – I think overall they're going to be a more big boy NFL team. Are they going to challenge anybody? Uh, it's hard to tell. I mean, that that AFC South is always a wacky division. 12 wins gets you the title. Tennessee did it last year and got bounced in the first round. Are they going to win nine more games than last year? No, but they could be a 500 football team and be flirting with the wild card spot. It's really just a matter of health and if they didn't damage Trevor Lawrence too much last year. But I, I like Christian Kirk, and I think uh, he's going to be – not sleeperish, but I think people that take a flyer on him and that I would, I'll tell you right now, I would take him ahead of Amari Cooper, Pat. Oh, well, there's where we disagree then, apparently. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the next wide receiver that we're going to talk about a little bit. Uh, Chris Godwin came back to Tampa Bay. There's really not much to hit on here. I don't think that, well, obviously, when, when this all happened, 
Tom Brady was was still up in the air. He was, you know, not officially retired, but wasn't officially playing in the NFL or for the Bucks anymore. Uh, but they signed Chris. The Bucks signed Chris Godwin to a three-year, sixty million dollar deal, and I think it's just more of the same for Chris Godwin. He averaged about nine targets a game in the fourteen games that he played last year, just under a hundred receptions, eleven hundred yards, five touchdowns, and you know, Godwin's just a reliable, good wide receiver who I think with Brady coming back, if, if Godwin can stay healthy, I personally don't see less than what he did this year. So, you know, I I don't have off the top of my head where he finished fantasy wise this year. Oh, uh, Godwin. Yeah. But I know he was top 20. I can Uh, stop 15 according to in a full PPR looking at this. uh, Yeah. Uh, He was 15th overall, just ahead of Tyler Lock, sandwiched between Lockett and Metcalf, 98 catches on 127 targets, 1,100 yards, and five touchdowns. That was the only thing uh, that kind of hurt him a little bit was not tons of scoring. But Yeah, was, like I said, I, I don't see a lot of change in that as far as his production goes. Um, I actually have him points per game. Is this last year? I have him at, okay, so this is points per game. This is an overall. So, yeah, so points per game, I had him at wide receiver seven. So, you know, again, he's just a solid wide receiver on a good team that's going to score points with a Hall of Fame, uh, sure, first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback. So, I mean, unless you have anything big to offer on Godwin, I think we can we can move on to the next receiver, or, or do you have something? No, I, I mean, the only – there's nothing real. Like you said, the only like an aside move, I know we had him down the list, you know, the offense will be the same. You added Russell Gage in there mm-hmm. and he's just going to be complimentary to those guys. And uh, again, we saw that happen at Tampa Bay when they were in, when those guys started going down with their injuries, that offense lost it and their young players couldn't step up to the plate. So you added a guy like that, who's more of an insurance policy uh, and, and that fourth guy in a big spread offense to go downfield uh, but I don't think he's going to chop into Godwin or Mike Evans. Uh, you know, it's really if Gronk comes back or if he doesn't, it's suddenly when he becomes a lot more uh, involved, so to speak, on that offense. Yeah, Gage is the uh, more of the I, I kind of see Gage as the replacement for Antonio Brown. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously not as talented or or as uh, heralded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also yeah. not not as crazy. But, uh, you know, I, I, as far as Godwin goes again, like I said, I, I don't see a big change in him. Gage. Uh, somebody will get to either later today or, or maybe in a later show, depending on how much time we have. But uh, the guy I really want to talk about, the, the guy up next, Michael Gallup, he also re-signed with the same team, going back to the Cowboys, a five-year, $62.5 million deal. And you and I had a little bit of discussion about this again before the podcast. And, and uh, you know, Gallup's one of those guys who is in line for a potential major uptick in production. Now he is, you know, coming back off, the injury, I believe it was an Achilles injury last year, probably won't be 100% ready for, definitely won't be 100% ready for training camp. The reports out of Dallas are that he's aiming for a week one return, but I think we all know that guys who say they're aiming for a week one return know that they're not going to be ready for week one. So as far as what he does throughout the season, I think, you know, again, after he recovers from this injury and, and they they move forward later on into the season, Obviously, with Amari Cooper gone, Gallup steps into that number two wide receiver role in, uh, you know, one of the highest scoring offenses. I believe Dallas was the second highest scoring uh, offense in the league last year. And, 
you know, for me, I, I think Dallas's offense is still going to be pretty solid. I think they're they're going to still throw the ball a ton. They have Dak Prescott, who is a again, he's a top ten real life NFL quarterback, and teams obviously are going to be keen on CD Lamb and stopping him in that passing game. So I think Michael Gallup has a, a real opportunity to jump into probably the top twenty. Uh, as far as uh, you know, wide receivers in fantasy football, uh, that's kind of where I have him uh, on a points per game basis. So, you know, again, depending on how much of the season he misses and and how much time it takes him to sort of get back into you know up to playing speed, I, I think that he could be a guy, especially later on in the 2022 season, who could potentially you know he could be like Russell Gage in the fact that you know he kind of comes on at the end of your season and uh helps propel you to a fantasy championship but what do you think about about Gallup and and that new deal in Dallas well it's Jerry doing Jerry things i mean you know you're you're going to throw a lot of money at somebody and get rid of another guy in in Cooper because he was costing you too much money you went with the younger guy who has shown potential uh again to be a a Decent, young, up-and-coming wide receiver in the NFL. I mean, Michael Gallup is two years removed from 1,100 yards. Uh, Last year was a little bit of a downer, again, with the injury issues. I think he had injuries coming in and going out of the season. For the amount of money you're paying him, you're basically paying him to be a a carryover for, again, C.D. Lamb being your one, Gallup being your two. Uh, You had Dalton Schultz, who stepped up as a receiver. You have Tony Pollard, who... Quietly is a good running back on that team, but a lot of people are starting to figure that out. It can make some plays out of the backfield. Dallas has the 24th, 56th, and 88th pick, so they have three of the top 100. I personally think that they're going to make a move for a wide receiver, uh, one of the young guys, because there's so much talent out there right now, and, and we've talked about that, and we'll touch base on that next week when we talk about the draft. Uh, but you're looking at, I mean, eight to 10 guys that could go in the top 100 as far as wide receivers, let alone if you have one of the big names still falling or, or they, when Jared get, you know, falls in love with somebody, he might make the move. You could see him, you know, he likes his, he likes his SEC guys. Uh, he's an Arkansas guy. So Traylon Burks wouldn't be a shock to me uh, if he's a guy that they maybe take, if he's there or trade up to get uh, on that team, they do need to get better defensively, but he loves him some offense. Uh, they actually did have the best pass. They had the number one overall offense last year uh, as far as points go in the NFL. And you, you know, Dak can do what he does. He can throw for four, five, six, ten thousand 10,000 yards in a season, but they still don't win. It's just how it goes. CeeDee Lamb really is a special player right now, and I think he's going to be their focal point. At the end of the day, uh, Gallup to me is, is he going to miss so much time during camp that when he gets back, if he comes back at the beginning of the season uh, or if he comes back at week four because of this injury, which is serious. And, and you can't rush it because if something else happens or you get a secondary injury off of it, that could be a career ender for this guy in a negative way. You don't want to see that for anybody. I feel like he's going to miss too much time and you're going to see Prescott build a rapport with somebody else, uh, let alone if they decide to sign somebody. You know, you could see a Jarvis Landry, who's still out there, or, or, you know, I wouldn't say Julio because he gets hurt every other week, but I I really feel like the drafting of somebody is going to happen and they're going to have that guy as another big name. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if it was like a Traylon Burks that they decide to get or go up and get uh, by making some moves in the draft, maybe a secondary move during the draft just to to do something 
uh, on that level. But I, I like the, the the prospect of him on that team with Amari Cooper and and Cedric Wilson vacating as many targets as they have. I mean, you're looking at what 104 for Cooper and I mean 61. So yeah, you're almost at 170 targets that have to go to somebody. He should be a, a heavy recipient of them. And he already had 62 himself, but is, is he going to be healthy enough to play? Is he going to be on the field? That's the biggest question mark for me right now. To me, he's – some people are going to be bullish on him, sure, but if you're picking him in, in one of your top seven or eight picks, thinking, oh, yeah, he's on there, you don't know what you're getting. And, again, if they draft somebody, he slides down. He's he's borderline waiver wire at this point, I think, in, in, in certain fantasy leagues, depending on how many teams you have. All right, let's jump in. I want to talk about some of these running backs before we run out of time because uh, some of the other wide receivers that you know we had sort of you know maybe mentioned talking about, I, I don't think are going to have necessarily a, a huge impact. Um, and and we're going to discuss these again later in the offseason. But I, I want to hit a few of these running backs real quick before we uh, you know before we go for for this episode. So let's talk a little bit about Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert, both of those guys signing with Miami. Uh, Edmonds deal was a two year, 12.1 million. And then they picked up Raheem Mostert on a one year, $2.1 million deal. I'm interested to see how you think this whole, because Miami still has running backs that have done it for them on the roster in Salvan Ahmed in why am I drawing a blank on his name now? I was asking. Miles Gaskin, there you go. They never. I, I remember him because he killed me last year. I drafted <laughs> him high, and he just never got it going until I traded him. Shocker. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So they still have these guys on the roster that you know have done it for them in the past. Obviously, you know we talked a little bit about the Hill uh, trade earlier, and I don't know. Is Miami? Are they signing these these guys like Edmonds, who are good pass catching backs? because they're looking to move more towards a turning the ball over to Tua and letting him, you know, be uh, a franchise quarterback that he was drafted to be, are they piling up second rate running backs? I mean, I don't think anybody believes that Chase Edmonds or Raheem Mostert is Dalvin Cook. They're not Alvin Kamara, or Christian McCaffrey. They're not these guys who are, you know, your do it all running backs. These are more guys that work better in platoon backfields so so how do you how do you see these signing uh, as additions to that miami roster and, and how do you how would you give me those four running backs rank them as far as uh you know fantasy impact for miami between edmonds mostert uh gaskin and well let's leave Ahmed out because we know he he was kind of only filling in for gaskin so out of those three how do you how do you see this backfield shaking out this year and he he could be cut. You never know. You know, on that level. Um, yeah. I mean, okay. I would think that Chase Edmonds probably has the most potential to do the most damage, based on the fact. Obviously, he was a free agent signing. You look at the new head coach, Mike McDaniel, again from San Fran. I think with with Mostert, it's more of a health issue. You know, if he, if he can bounce back, right? I think he was a little banged up throughout the year last year. Yeah, he played one game last year before. Yeah, and exactly. So he went out, and that's what helped to get Elijah Mitchell on the field and, and establish him as a as a solid wide receiver or running back, <laughs> and, and at times wide receiver the way they ran the offense. But yeah, nobody knew what any what position anybody was playing on that team halfway through the season. So no, and, and that's you just said it. Like that to me is what's going to be the most interesting thing. You know, we talked Tyree Kill 
at, at the top of the show is what this offense will look like once McDaniel gets everybody in camp and looks to he almost strikes me as the kind of guy that's going to try to put everybody in the best spot to do what they do best. Uh, you know, again, seeing what he did with Debo Samuel as a, you don't want to say, oh, he's a Swiss army. No, if you could do, no, he just put him out on the field and said, you're the best guy on this team, dude. And you know what? We're going to give you the ball as much as possible and put you in all these situations to do what needs to be done. And lo and behold, yeah, you had a guy that had a monster season, both in fantasy and not. And I remember not being too high on him coming in, um, you know, and then he goes up and what puts up 14 touchdowns and 1400 yards. And like, like it, it's, it was just kind of ridiculous, you know, when you really look at it and then he turns around and does more, you know, on the, on the running game as well. He has potential to be the guy. I think Chase Edmonds being that guy and Mostert being maybe a second fiddle, albeit if he's healthy to me, the odd man out is Gaskin being as he's not McDaniel's guy. He's going to that franchise and he's almost like a, He's got a potential to be a trade chip, to be honest with you. Miami doesn't have a lot of draft capital from all the moves that they just made. They have a comp pick at 102 from San Francisco. So that's really their highest draft pick coming in. So they're not they're not trying to build through this draft as far as you can tell. And then again, unless they make a move. Now, it might not happen during the draft. It could happen if somebody loses out on picking a running back. You could see Gaskin make a move to a team, uh, let alone to another team of of need that that would be willing to maybe throw a pick at them for this draft or for something down the road. So if you're asking me right now, I, to me, it's Chase Edmonds is to the solid one because of his uh, all this pass catching ability that he's had over the years with Arizona. And, and he was almost their, I don't want to say de facto guy. And then you had James Conner come into it, who also had a great season as far as that went. I mean, I, I think Gaskin to me would be the third guy. He's he, he's probably the best running back on the roster, ironically. But to me, he's going to take a back seat to Edmonds because you just went out and spent money on a guy for, you know, this kind of a situation to be that jack of all trades in an offense, you know, dynamic as possible. And knowing what he's going from to what he's going to, there's that. The Miami team overall, though, as a whole, there's so many mouths to feed in that offense that we just went through. Do they all do they cannibalize each other? And then you have solid play across the board, but none of those guys is a is beyond a two, except for maybe Hill, just because he's the breakout guy. I don't know. But I would say Edmonds one, Mostert two, and and I think unfortunately Gaskins three. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the money that they paid Edmonds and Mostert sort of dictates that that same sort of order. I think that. I, I truly believe that they're going to give Mostert an opportunity to sc- sort of split the backfield with Edmonds. I do, however, think Edmonds is probably going to finish higher in fantasy just due to the fact that, um, again, like you said, Mostert is hurt a lot. The guy just doesn't seem to be able to stay healthy. And also because of Edmonds' pass-catching work out of the backfield, especially in leagues that we play in, which you know mostly are PPR leagues, you know, Edmonds definitely has a little bit of an advantage there. I've always been, I and I kind of thought last year before they signed James Conner, even after they signed Conner, I thought Edmonds was going to be, you know, kind of the guy. And then Conner was going to yeah. be more of your change of pace, goal line type back because of his, you know, physicality and toughness. But Mostert isn't a physical tough guy. He's more of a speed guy. Gaskin, obviously with his, you know, size, he's not a big dude. Chase Edmonds is 5'9". 210 pounds, you know, again, he's not, he's not huge, 
but he's he's yeah. he's a, a more Point prototypical. Tackle. Yes, he's a more prototypical, and he's shifty at that at that weight. So I, I hope it, you know that Miami gives him the opportunity to be the the one. Um, I do think that Moser's going to get his opportunities there. I do think that you know, like you said, coming from San Francisco and and. Mike McDaniel coming from San Francisco, that there's sort of a connection there where where he's going to get yeah, most of a shot. But the one year deal that's his guy to help the playbook get to the running backs. You know what I mean? Right, like yeah, right. if 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 Edmonds doesn't you know get the playbook early in the season, he's got somebody that that sort of knows the the plays and stuff like that. And and most of he's a home run hitter. He's that's kind of what he's been yeah. in his career. He's I don't think he's obviously he's not he hasn't been durable enough to be, uh, you know, yeah. the only guy, like the number one type running back. But he's a guy who, you know, if you hand him the ball six, seven, eight times a game, maybe every other game or so, you're going to get a, uh, you know, a big 60-yard touchdown run out of him or something like that. So I think that's going to be his his role in the team. I, I do agree with you that, and here we go, agreeing again, right? I, I do agree with you that uh, Gaskin, who obviously is so important to that team that I couldn't even remember his name earlier, I, I just, I don't think he's going to be, a big part of the offense. I don't think that they really value him moving forward. So I, I agree. I go Edmonds, Mostert, and and then Gaskin. Uh, I think the last guy that that I would like to talk about. I don't know if after this, if you have, if you have anybody that you want to throw in there, but um, uh, James Connor. Uh, actually, let's let's we can cover them together. James Connor and Leonard Fournette both go back to their teams from last year. I, I think in both cases, things have increased for both of these guys fantasy wise due to the fact that Edmonds is now in Miami for Connor and Ronald Jones is now in Kansas city, freeing up the backfield for Connor and Fournette to respectively take those team backfields as, you know, sort of the lead back. Now I know Connor has struggled with injury in his career as well, but I think that both of these guys have the potential to really, you know, they both finished in the top 10 last year. Being on the offenses that they're both on, I don't see how either guy falls too far from the production of last year, barring injury, obviously. What do you what do you think? Is there do you have a preference, Connor or Fournette moving forward? Like if you if you were on the clock and both of these guys were available and you needed a running back, who which guy would you uh who would you be leaning more towards? That's an excellent question. And the, the hardest part right now is pre-draft to say who who would be my guy. I think you have a little bit more to worry about just based on the roster right now. I think you have a little bit more to worry about with Fournette than you do Connor. And and it's not by a lot. It's not in that sense. But where Leonard Fournette was, you know, one of the best running backs in fantasy football last year. And and a lot of people thought he was going to fall off and he ended up finishing, you know, in your top five or six. But Connor did as well. And that was another name that nobody expected to be as good you know, they thought maybe his injuries had had beset him. He's only got Eno Benjamin behind him, who's been, you know, a little sleeper darling name that everybody wants to get out there. So they think that they're, you know, right if he has his uh, breakout year. Uh, Arizona picks 23rd currently and Tampa Bay picks 27th in the draft. Uh, there are first round talent running backs that have been mentioned, but it doesn't sound like a lot of teams are high on. I think both teams had the potential to possibly take one of those players, depending on what other talent, you know, best player available is there, uh, let alone make a move or, or anything uh, of that nature. Um, just looking ahead too, and they both have solid second round picks at 55 for Arizona and 60 for Tampa Bay, respectively. 
So those teams, I think, would definitely look to make that move. Now, with Fournette, you had Giovanni Bernard, who, you know, has always been the waiver wire darling that he was and, and had some moments, but he wasn't as maybe effective as we thought he'd be. And Keyshawn Vaughn started to look a little bit like, like maybe, uh, like he had some potential uh, when he was thrust into some of those roles where that team just was a mash unit by the end of the year. They need to get younger in Tampa Bay. So I think the running back concept there probably behooves them more and maybe to move on from, uh, you know, somebody maybe like a Bernard or, or, or see about, you know, making moves like that. I probably would be higher on Connor just because unless they take a running back, if they take one of the big names, if they go for, uh, you know, a, a Brees Hall or if they go for uh, the kid out of Michigan State, Kenneth Walker, uh, Isaiah Spiller is a big name. And, and again, you have you have like four or five guys in the top 100 as far as ranked running backs, uh, overall picks. So, I mean, you have these guys that could fall into the second and maybe they trade back and do stuff like that. You just have to watch what happens. I'd say Connor is probably my better play on than Fournette. Plus, Fournette's in an offense that, again, there's thousand-yard receivers all over the place now, and and, and you're still – not sure if he's going to have that same golf. He was ready to go. He, he was looking at, he, remember, he went to New England for a visit and then quickly resigned with Tampa Bay. So, um, you know, I know Tom Brady dictates how the league goes, almost like LeBron in the NBA a little <laughs> bit. Um, but I think Connors in, you know, if they get D Hop back out there and, you know, Murray seems to be their guy right now, you, you don't know. Arizona could get a quarterback. Suddenly that whole team's on its side. And, and I, I think right now I'd say Connor over Fournette, but if something crazy happens at the draft, I wouldn't be far off from Fournette. I think he's the better running back overall, but um, as far as like the duality and, and the pass catching ability that, that Connor shows that that there's a little bit, just a little bit more there. Again, they were close last year. One of them falls off. I'd say it'd be Fournette. Um, but again, I got to wait to see what happens in the draft. Yeah, they were they were less than or just those uh, just under two points separated them last year in PPR. Uh, Fournette finished fifth overall, and Connor was sixth. So. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where uh, now, again, just because we very rarely disagree, I actually believe that Fournette is, is the safer option only only because I, I, I think Fournette is a really good pass catching back, which, you know, I don't think a lot of people knew that or saw that coming into last year. I think, you know, they kind of assumed that uh, Giovanni Bernard was brought in there to be the third down guy. And, you know, Fournette handled the the pass catching work very very well last year. He actually was targeted the third most. He had 84 targets last year and 69 receptions. So I think the pass catching work is uh, there for Fournette. And I think the Tampa Bay's offense is obviously, you know, being one of the top scoring offenses last year is a little bit better than Arizona's. And I think that there's, there's the potential at least for uh, Fournette to have another double digit touchdown season. Whereas, for Connor, I think that Arizona's offense isn't quite as good, obviously, as Tampa Bay's, you know, being led by a good quarterback, but not Tom Brady. And the fact that Connor just scored so many touchdowns last year that I think it's going to be, it's a little bit more difficult to repeat that. I think that because of the fact that Fournette's points came from his rushing yards, from his receptions, and not necessarily from touchdowns. I think that it's so much harder to repeat 18 touchdowns or whatever it was that I think it was 18 touchdown total touchdowns that James Conner had last year. Uh, I think it's so much harder to repeat that from year to year unless you know you're you're guaranteed to get 
uh, you know, a ton of work in the red zone. And, and I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know that Arizona doesn't really have anybody else that they, uh, you know, are going to bring in specifically for, you know, gold liner or red zone work. But I, I think you give me both guys with no competition. I'll take the guy on a better offense who, who can catch the ball. So uh, we did have a couple of tight ends that I wanted to hit, but I, I, those guys are, none of them are really fantasy relevant other than Zach Ertz and him being with the same team as he, as he was last year. Um, just real quickly, my, my thought on Ertz, I, I think that what you saw with him in Arizona is what you're going to see with him in Arizona again next year. I think he, he was better as a fantasy producer on the Cardinals that he, than he was on the Eagles. And I, I believe that, you know, he's, he's going to once again, be a top 10 fantasy tight end. I know that, you know, Zach Ertz, one of your favorite players in the NFL, you, uh, you happy to see him back with Arizona, obviously, if he's, if he's not playing for uh, our Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, I mean, there there were a few other situations he may have been able to go to 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 make an offense better, stronger. But he, he seemed to kind of settle in pretty good with Arizona. Uh, he seemed to be almost a missing piece to their puzzle. And and yeah, you really saw them starting to click a little bit with him. Uh, he had he had a pretty solid season. I mean, ironically too, before he left the Eagles, the Eagles had a pretty reasonable passing offense. And then as soon as he got traded, their passing game kind of went into the tank. And they had to rely on the run a little bit more. So it shows you what value he still has at his age, where a lot of people thought he was done for uh, overall. Now, the quarterback play is going to dictate how well he does out there. He doesn't have anything else to rely on. Is Kyler Murray the guy? Is he going to stay the guy? Is he going to look to him a little bit more? You know, obviously you're losing uh, Christian Kirk. Uh, you do have probably somebody like a Rondale Moore going to step up. AJ Green resigned, I believe. And, and if, uh, if DeAndre Hopkins stays healthy, yeah, you might see him get a little more of the touchdown work that, like you said, where Connor could lose that in, in an overall regression concept near the goal line. You know, you still have Cliff Kingsbury, who not not super high on him sometimes when it comes to his coaching decisions and things like that. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's okay for him to stay put because he's going to probably just finish it out the stretch there. But yeah, he's still, again, he finished pretty much top five, top three, top six every every year i mean he's he's just that guy and, and i don't see him going anywhere yeah i've always liked zach hurts I'm, I'm i hope that he uh he finishes out his career on a positive note and and gets to retire i hope come back for his one day contract you know oh yeah, yeah, yeah of course <laughs> well who knows after the way the eagles did him last year they weren't he i don't think he was too happy about uh the way he was treated but always an eagle in our hearts right oh yeah and a back-to-back fantasy winner for me. <laughs> you have a little extra special love for him. Oh, yeah. Love me. Love me, Zach. Julie, you're great, too. Don't <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, I think we dove into as much as we could in the time that we have. And that's a couple guys that we wanted to get to, but weren't really able to make that happen with, uh, with the time constraints. But we're going to have another episode for you next week. Don't miss that. It's going to be our draft episode we're going to talk uh, a little bit we're going to do a little a little actual nfl mock draft do a do a uh, a pick them and and see uh if we were nfl gms who we would take for for different teams in in the nfl draft and that's going to be fun um, it's always something that uh is super interesting you know we do these fantasy drafts and they're fun but uh the nfl draft is is definitely an event and uh it's definitely something that i'm looking forward to to watching this year and we're going to Scott and I are going to have a little a little friendly competition on uh, who can more accurately predict the NFL draft, which 
I don't think anybody can accurately predict that. These guys that uh, get paid a ton of money by these uh, networks can't do it. I'm sure we're not going to be able to do it, but we're going to give it a shot and have some fun with it. And I uh, hope you guys join us next week for that. And then maybe in our following episode, we'll try to get back into some of uh, these other signings that we missed today and also get into some of the impact of the NFL draft and you know where some of these players landed and, and what effect that's going to have on uh, their fantasy value coming into the rookie season. So Scott, you got anything you want to you want to add before we get out of here for the day? Yeah, uh, you know, again, with the draft, there's obviously defensive players involved, which we're going to pick. And I know some people I just got into a league that has, uh, you know, IDP and, and draft uh, drafting defensive players is somewhat legit to, to build your team. And I know for some of our listeners out there, uh, you are involved in those leagues. So this will have a little bit of a factor on that. Yeah, I, I think things we talked about today are going to dictate certain moves that have already been made are going to dictate the way certain teams draft or don't draft based on what they gave up as compensation come next Thursday. And then at the same time, some things that, again, we talked about that are going to hold off on different moves. There's still some decent names that are out there in free agency, but these teams are checking out to see what they can draft uh, and then take these guys as contingencies to certain positions of need that they maybe don't get to in the draft. Uh, Yeah. I'm, I'm going to look forward to seeing how, wrong we are probably more than how right we are both on who gets picked where and our ideas of you know who's going to be the big breakout star of the draft and and then come midway through the season you know who's your jamar chase uh or who isn't uh on that level who's more of a a disappointment well we'll see i'm interested to see because there's a lot of skilled players especially at that wide receiver position and we've talked about it at length that they are the up and coming uh high end I, i mean we just saw a report today that a couple big names, uh, Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, and Terry McLaurin are skipping workouts, maybe not visibly, but as far as on field, uh, until they get new contract signed. So uh, the wide receiver position, if you're raising a kid right now, uh, raise him or her to be a wide receiver. And uh, yeah, <laughs> you're going to be able to retire early, it sounds like. Yeah, quarterbacks and wide receivers. That's that's the route you want to go, for sure. All right, so that's going to do it for this week's episode of The Nine Route. Make sure that you follow us on social media at the nine route one. Scott is at Scott from Delco and uh, check out our, well, don't check out our website yet, but we, we we're going to have, we're working on a website. We're going to get that up and running here hopefully soon. And uh, we hope to be able to post the, the draft, the NFL draft uh, competition that we're having as far as who we think each team's going to pick. So we're hoping to be able to post that on the website and get that up and running soon, but uh, keep an eye out for that in the near future. Until next time, folks, we will talk to you later. Peace.